first. This is not good news. Paris Swain, Liberty Writers News, reports the Power Challenge has been officially accepted. North Korean state-run police and news agency reported moments ago that North Korea will turn up all the warned that it would carry out. Well, this is week seven of seven. This is the final of our uh, Simple Truth series, and it's been such a great conversation. I know many of you have been involved in conversations in your groups, and we're so glad that you've been a part of that, whether you've hosted maybe for the first time a Simple Truth conversation, or you've been a part of a Connect group that's gone through the material. I know it's been a blessing to a lot of you, and uh, we'll be back to do another one of these Sermon Focus series, probably in January, February uh, at some point, engage in more conversation. But this today is our seventh of seven lessons, and and we're focusing today on uh, God's mission. Uh, And that's what the series has really been all about, is we don't want to just accumulate a list of truths in our minds that don't make any difference in our lives, but these truths should shape our priorities, our values. It should shape the way we spend money. It should shape the way that we prioritize and value our time. Uh, It should prioritize so many things, the truths that we come to know. Otherwise, my question is, do we really believe those things? And that's been the the challenge each week is for our groups to ask the question, if we believe this is true, what difference does it make in our lives? Uh, And so today I want to engage in a conversation about really what all of this truth has been about, which is we're called to be involved in God's mission in the world. And I want to remind us and boldly call us back into that vision today as a church family, as Christians, all of us in God's story. Let's pray as we open God's word this morning. Our God, our Father, we, uh, we thank you the way that you initiate uh, so many things in our lives, God. You give us the breath of life. You have uh, called us to be children of yours, and you have called us on a mission to share with others the good news of Jesus. You're always the one who is the initiator. You're the one who's sent uh, Jesus into the world. You've sent your spirit to guide your church, and God, you're sending your church as well. And so, God, I pray today you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts we might be mission-minded even more so in the days to come. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, when God first calls a group of people, he calls them within a specific context. We refer to that context as the ancient Near East. It's in that place, Mesopotamia, between the rivers that we read early on and the Genesis story that God kind of begins in that fertile crescent life itself. And as life grows and expands, what we find is that people gather not just in family units, but they gather in towns, they, they gather in tribes, is what they re- we refer to them, those ancient Near Eastern tribes. And those tribes provided a lot of things to these people. Think about it, because if you have an emergency today, you might call 911. There was no 911 in those days, right? So you depended on the community around you. You depended on uh, the tribe that was there. You depended on the resources that had been accumulated from last year's harvest, You as a group of people were doing life together, and you were just one day away from perhaps a warring tribe that would come in and try to defeat your tribe and take you over as as slaves or something else. And so you were always on guard against concerns that may be out there. So these tribes provided a kind of security, a, a kind of safety to the families that existed within that tribe. Everything was about the tribe and making sure that it continued. You accumulated possessions together. You you fought battles together. You made alliances with other tribes. You, you did it all in the name of tribal preservation for the sake of your safety and security. And when you read these Old Testament stories about so-and-so accumulating this many horses or this many fighting men or making an alliance with this nation or marrying the daughter of this king, all of that was 
understood within this context of tribalism. It was life or death matter. It was kill or be killed. And no matter how many battles you fought, you knew that you may just be one day away from a warring tribe that may change everything for the next few generations for your family, if you even lived through it. And one of the greatest technological advances that tribes developed this time uh, were walls. Walls that surrounded a city, surrounded a tribe that lived there. And so you come to the story in Joshua, for instance, of the people of God moving into the promised land. They come up against a wall that's in Jericho, right? And at the end of that story, the security of that city and that tribe in Jericho crumbles and God's people come in and they are able to come. But, but defense is really important for these tribes in the ancient Near East. A good defense was necessary. Every tribe had to think about how it was going to defend the people within the walls of the tribe. And, and the, the metaphor I'm about to give isn't quite as serious as the reality that's there. But this is true in the sports world too, isn't it, right? It's football season. And a good football team, championships are won with defense, aren't they? Think back to some of the great defenses in NFL history. You've got the you know, Steelers still curtain defense. You've got the 85 Bears, Mike Singletary in that group. You've got uh, maybe a lesser known or one we don't think about as often, the Ravens 2000 defense. Here's an interesting stat. In the regular season that year in 2000, the Ravens defense gave up an average of 9.6 points per game in the regular season. Think about that. All you had to put together was a touchdown and a field goal, and it would have been a good season. See, a good defense can do all kinds. In fact, it may be the best kind of offense in reality. If you can hold the other team to only so much, a good defense will beat a good offense any old day. And I grew up in a church that knew how to play defense. When I was four years old, uh, my family lived in Abilene, Texas, and and uh, we were looking for a, a ministry job because my dad was in a role in a church, but he wanted to preach and felt that calling. And so he was looking at opportunities. He was going to interview and, and I didn't know anything about it at the time, but you know, at some point they told us, this is what we're doing. We're moving to San Diego, California. Now there was one place that my mom didn't want to move and it was California. Some of you understand that, right? She prayed against that one place. And of course, this is the lesson we all learn, which is if you don't want to go someplace, don't tell God you don't want to go there because he'll find a way to grow you up through that. So we went to California and I remember before we left some of our friends and I've heard these stories, my parents tell who were saying, you're doing, you're going to the land of fruits and nuts. What are you thinking? Why would you want to do that? But it was the call that God had given us. But there was a little bit of a fear that I know was developed, especially within my mom as we were making that change of how do we maintain our family and our faith in the midst of a culture that looks a bit different than Abilene, Texas. And so in the midst of that fear, you know, there was kind of a bubble that got created for us growing up. I went to a private Christian school while I was there. I, I was a part of the church youth group. And I remember playing on a baseball team and a soccer team, but that was about it other than the kids in the cul-de-sac we played with. And our time was limited there as well. There was this protective nature, which... I appreciate now as a parent a little bit more what that desire is. And that story about our family is not all that foreign to the story of Christianity, specifically the story of uh, churches of Christ in California. Some of you may have grown up in California churches and know a little bit more of this story. I mentioned a little bit about this last week. Many of those churches were planted in the midst of the 1930s and 1940s as a result of the Dust Bowl era. There are many Christians who, who moved from Arkansas, moved from Oklahoma, and they moved out to California, a new land of opportunity where things hopefully would be better. And they planted churches, of course, because that's what Christians do. And so they, they, they kind of brought the wagons out there, and then they circled the wagons out there. 
there was a sense of we want to protect ourselves from this culture that we're entering into. And so our move in the 90s, in some ways, reflected the move from the 30s and 40s. And there were a lot of great churches that were planted. There are some that are still thriving today, but I got to tell you, many of those churches, there's hundreds of them that are near shutting their doors. And a big reason for that is the posture that they took as they went into those places in California. They circled the wagons to protect their kids from influence. And and it protected their kids in many ways, but it also, that's the problem with walls, isn't it? It protects us from harm, but it also protects us from influence that we're able to have in the community. And and so many of those churches still look like 1940s and 50s churches that just moved out there and just kind of let things go as they were. And it's really sad today to see how, how few of them really are thriving in the way that you'd hope they would. And I think that posture of defensiveness is something that isn't just about churches of Christ in California. A lot of churches have taken this posture. It's, but the problem is this, once you choose to play defense, it's really hard to learn how to play offense again. And over the past 50 years or so in North America, churches have increasingly bought into this strategy. Yes, we have continued to send missionaries overseas to lands that don't know Jesus. But when it comes to faith in our own community, sometimes, well, most of the time, our activities are found within four walls of a church building. And and sometimes we forget that mission is something we're called to here. And we've been okay with that strategy, that defensive strategy. We built churches and we've asked the world to come inside our walls rather than sometimes being willing to play uh, on without home field advantage. We thought we could keep our kids safe if we built the walls high enough, if we built the bubble thick enough, maybe those influences wouldn't pervade. But I would suggest that one of the reasons that we've lost our influence with the next generation is because of our decision to place such great defense. Yes, again, the, the walls protected us, but it also inoculated us from God's mission that he's called us to in the world. Walls do a good job of protection but sometimes they protect us from things we don't need protection from. And that's the mission that I want to talk about today. And it's time that we get back to that mission. Amen. It's actually what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks after this Sunday. This is kind of a, an entryway into the conversation we'll be beginning again. But our story, if you think about scripture, did not begin by playing defense. It started with offense. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 is where I'd like to begin this morning in the story of, of Abram and the call of God that he gives to Abram and his tribe. Again, Abram grew up in a world where everything was about tribal, about the tribe, right? Everything was about the safety and security of that tribe. No one imagined you would leave your father's household and go anywhere else. You were just, it was the cycle of life, the circle of life that continued from generation to generation. And so it was assumed that Abram would just take up for Abram's dad and do what he did. and, And the next generation would do the same, but something interrupts that normal flow, that normal circle. And this is what it is. This is Genesis 12, verse 1, when Abram first hears God's voice. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, imagine this scene with me, right? Everything in Abram's world would have said that he was always going to live in this place, in his father's house, in the land that he'd grown up in, where he knows the rivers and the lay of the land and knows how to protect against the warring parties that would come in. He doesn't know where he's supposed to go in the story. All God says is, I want you to go. Wouldn't you like a little clearer picture of where you're going when you're being called out of the norm? And not only that, Abram doesn't really even know who this God is yet, right? I mean, this is the first time he hears this voice and it's the Lord's voice and 
He's going to come to understand this voice a little bit more as the years go on. But this tribe that God calls him to create is going to be completely different than all the other tribes he's ever imagined. All the tribes that exist in this ancient Near East. Listen closely to the description that God gives. This is verse 2 and following. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Now, all of that in verses two in the beginning part of verse three, that's normal tribal stuff, right? These tribes believed in in gods that were, you know, the most powerful God was obviously the one who defeated the other armies of other tribes. and, and, And you always knew the pecking order of the gods based on who won these battles. And so all that's normal, right? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to curse those who curse you. That's what any tribe would have expected of their God. But the the revelatory, crazy part of this story comes at the second half of verse 3. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See the difference here? This is a massive shift on what tribes are all about. Because tribes used to be about self-preservation, about protecting those that were within the tribe. But this is a brand new kind of tribe that God is launching. It's a tribe that is going to extend its blessing to others outside of the tribe. Abram's tribe exists to bless all of the other tribes. You see how radical this idea was? Can you see how radical this idea still is? Most tribes still exist to play defense, but God's tribe was always meant to play offense. The people of God have never really lived this out because we tend to kind of go back to protection mode. We, we, we're good at hiring defensive coordinators. We're not so good at figuring out what an offensive coordinator looks like in our culture. And God has to remind the people of God over and over again about this. Stop being so concerned with what's going on inside. Think about those who are outside. I've called you to be a tribe that blesses all the other tribes. And we keep devolving, don't we? We keep going back and forgetting God's word to Abram in Genesis 12. We keep going back to defensive mode. Israel found themselves in that place. And what does God do to finally get them out? Well, they go into the promised land. They set up a tribe. They build walls around Jerusalem. They're doing the whole tribe thing, right? Except that last part of verse 3. And what does God have to do? He sends in warring parties and they tear down the wall and they send them off into exile. Finally, they're outside the city, but now they're disoriented trying to find out, is God still present when we don't have the temple nearby? Forgetting that from Genesis 12, the call was always a call to bless other tribes. And so they go. And when they're there, remember in Jeremiah, Jeremiah says to them, where you go, marry off your sons and daughters, plant, plant things, build houses, work for the good of the city. Bless the people who you're here with. And so their tribal walls in Jerusalem are down. And and then God goes back to the playbook and he calls a trick play. It's a double reverse. He sends Jesus into the world. But I want us to go back to one of the core verses that many of us have probably memorized. It's John 3.16. You see it up uh, on, you know, poster board behind the World Series Game 7s from time to time. Watch for it in the World Series this year. It's John 3.16. I want us to go back there. And I want us to see the reason why God sends Jesus. It's important not just that God sends Jesus. It's important why he sends him for our sense of mission as well. So listen to this. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. 
And we love this verse. It reminds us of the security we have that once we are, are coming to Christ, that we're now saved and our eternity is, is secure. And that's a wonderful thing that I want to teach my kids to know. But sometimes we miss the first half of this verse, which may be even more radical than that. The first part of this I want to point out is this, that first, God loves the world. Really, he, he loves the world. Don't skip over that. Because I don't remember having this love for the world developed in me. What I heard more was fear the world. What, what I heard more was the world is, is a bad place that we protect ourselves from and, and we circle the influence from, from, from forces that are out there. I was not taught to love the world. I was taught to fear the world. I was taught to protect myself from the influence of the world. I was taught to stay inside the Christian walls and not go outside the village. But I think we need to teach our kids to do the very thing that God does, right? And and this is mixed up because we want to protect our kids. And and there are things in the world that are harmful. It's not to say that there aren't cautions to have in the midst of this. But if, if we're supposed to live like God lives and love like God loves, what that means is we're called to love the world that God loves as well. The second thing I want to point out is the reason God sends Jesus into the world. Did you notice It's because of his love for the world that he sends Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. His love for the world is the very reason he sends Jesus into it. God's mission originates from a place of love for his creation. And if we want to reach the world, it's not going to come because we fear the world or we're trying to protect ourselves in the world. The way we're going to impact and influence the world is a true love for the people that God has created in his image that may not fully see all they've been created to do and be. See, we'll only play offense if we really do learn to love the world that we're walking into. God sends Jesus into the world because of his love for the world. So simple truth number seven that I want us to talk about in our groups later this week is this. God's people are called to bless the world that God loves. God's people are called to bless the world that God loves. This is based right out of Genesis 12, right? The calling of the people of God is blessing. Since the very beginning, God said, I'm, I'm, I'm surrounding you and I'm blessing you, not so you just hoard all of those blessings. I'm blessing you so you can pour out those blessings onto others. And what's the reason we do that? Well, it's John 3, 16. God loves the world and we're called to do the very same. We're called to bless the world that God loves. This is our mission. From Genesis 12 until Jesus returns, the calling of God's people is to bless this world. And the people of God have always struggled to fulfill this calling because there's this natural sense in us, this natural bent in us that naturally wants to fear what we don't know. It wants to circle our wagons, that wants to take care of our own, that wants to revert to defense. And it's unnatural to live into God's offensive stance of blessing other tribes. It's unnatural to love the world. It's it's unnatural to leave the place of safety. It's, It's unnatural to bless other people. And throughout history, God has had to continually remind his people of this building block that it was all about from the start. We, we read this uh, last week about the, the church in the book of Acts. I want to turn there real quick, quick to talk about this directional difference between what we revert to and what Jesus has to push his church back into. This is in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Just listen to this direction of the concerns of the disciples and the, discern, the, the concern of Jesus, the direction he's sending them. This is Acts 1, 6. Then they gathered around him. 
and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You hear the direction there? Jesus, this is all about us, right? We've been out of our land for a long time. Surely now's the time you're going to kick these Romans out. You're going to give us our land back. God, is this the time where you're going to restore what you promised? And I'm sure he's thinking, go back further. Go back to Genesis 12. Yeah, I'm going to bless you. But I'm going to bless you so you can bless other people. That's the whole purpose of my blessing is not to hoard those things. It's to turn outward. But their concern is, God, when are you going to? When are you going to bring it to us, right? We, we've paid a lot for you, Jesus. Is this the time? And this is Jesus' response, verse 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. No, no, no. When the Holy Spirit, when that blessing comes on you, you know what you're going to do? You're not going to stay in the confines of Jerusalem. Yeah, you'll, you'll share this message in Jerusalem, but it's going to go to Judea and Samaria, and then it's going to go to the ends of the earth. The, the direction's always been to bless out there. And you would think by chapter two or three, after the Holy Spirit comes on, they'd start that mission, right? They'd start sending missionaries out. It doesn't happen that way, though, does it? It takes several chapters, and they don't do it on their own. They have to be forced to do it. Look at this in, in Acts chapter 8. This is where it finally happens, where they start finally leaving and, and going to bless others. Listen to how this all starts. This is Acts 8 verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the, the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy. In that city. Why is there joy in a Samaritan town? Not because the church decided we got to do what God told us to do. The reason it happens is because there's a persecution. God has to force the church to be on mission because it is so cozy, isn't it? Stay here and to keep training and to keep learning and to keep growing and to keep protecting. But, but it takes a persecution. It takes God sending trouble for his church to remember the mission they've been called on since the very beginning. And then in chapter 10, it takes three different visions for Peter to hear the message again, right? They go to Judea and Samaria in chapter 8, but it's chapter 10 that he, he gives this vision to Peter. And he has to do it three separate times and say, and Peter says, no, no, those are unclean people. Don't make me do unclean things. And God's like, hey, I changed this. In fact, from the beginning in Genesis 12, this was the purpose, Peter. Peter finally goes forth and he struggles even as he does that. But when the Jewish leaders hear that Peter uh, has baptized Gentiles, they're not happy about it. You see the struggle for the early church to do the very thing that the church, the tribe of God has always been called to do. And here we are 2000 years later and we're still struggling, aren't we? I mean, North America is, is in need of a, an, an offensive church than ever before. And I want to make sure I clarify, it is not an offensive church that the North American needs. It's an offensive church. I've been trying to get the right words out each time I say that, right? And by the way, boy, Christians ought to be the hardest people to offend, shouldn't we be? Our identity is secure in Christ. It seems like we are so easy to 
fine offense, but no, we're, we're a church that's on the offense is what I'm trying to say, right? Moving into culture, we're blessing outside of our tribe. This is what we've always been called, called to do because God loves the world. And we're called to bless the world that God loves. It's our time, church. It's time for us to just stop planning activities inside these four walls, which is somewhat much about what my week seems to be about. It's time to leave these doors and, and to leave home-filled territory and to risk out in the world where blessing is to go. We are not here just to do our rituals. We're here to encounter the living God as the people of God have always done where God's presence was so that we can be sent back out into the world as God's missionaries, as his emissaries, as his ambassadors of reconciliation. We come so that we can go. And we've gotten everything backwards because we think that we do everything out there so we can come. But no, we come here so we can be trained and equipped and encouraged to go back out to the work that is God's work in the world. We have misunderstood the mission. I want to close with one more passage that I hope it sticks with you this week. It's really shaped and changed my view about this whole offense and defense thing. I think we've gotten this backwards. And this is Matthew chapter 16. It comes uh, where uh, a time where basically Simon Peter finally confesses what was right. He confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. And Matthew's a lot kinder because he doesn't tell the rest of the story like Mark does about Jesus calling Peter Satan. He just kind of leaves that part out. He says some really good things about Peter and Matthew. So this, this is the one I'm sure Peter liked to read to others when he told the story. But, but this is what it says. After Peter confesses that he's the son of God, listen to these verses. This is Matthew 16, verses 17 and 18. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let me key in on that last phrase. I want to leave it up there for a moment. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. For years, I have read these verses. I've read this section of scripture, and I missed what this was about. And the reason I missed it was because I grew up in a defensive church. I grew up in a church that was, was trying to protect itself in the world, never went outside out of fear of what might be outside the walls. And so it was this defensive posture. When I read these verses, what I heard in this was good. If we're in our four walls, then evil can't find its way in and penetrate. That is not what this verse says, is it? Look closer. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. The defensive posture is not the kingdom of God. It is not the church in the world. The one that's on defense is Hades. It's hell. It's the evil one. And we've missed this because we've been playing defense against evil that's trying to assault us, forgetting that it's the kingdom of God that's advancing in the world. It's the church that's to be out there, breaking down the gates of hell everywhere we see it. And doesn't that change everything? When we don't have to play defense, we realize that the gates that can't stand are hell's gates. When the spirit of God moves and his church moves throughout the world, we are so afraid of what our kids might experience. But what if we sent them out with an awareness that no gate of hell can be held back against the spirit of God that's within you? All of a sudden, fear is not the place we move in. It's a place of courage and boldness. The darkness does not get its way anymore because resurrection has happened. Is this not an incredible thought? 
And, and I, I know how we miss this because I know how I grew up. I knew that the evil's supposed to be the one on the offense and we're supposed to be the ones playing afraid, but no, no, no. We're the ones that are advancing. The kingdom of God is the one that's growing. We as the church are called to bless the world God loves. Stop playing defense. We need some offensive coordinators. We need some quarterbacks and we need some receivers and we need some linemen. Because the ball's going that way. We are in an unprecedented time in history. North America is a mission field. And there was a time in the past where we deluded ourselves, or maybe we were actually in the place where we thought, well, we are the resource to help resource missions that goes other places to people who don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're within walking distance of people who don't know Jesus. You are within walking distance of the gates of Hades in your neighborhood. And, and it's not time for us to lock our doors and to lock our gates. It's time for us to advance and to find those places in our neighborhoods and, and to claim what's ours, not what's the enemy's. Over the next three weeks, we're going to continue this conversation. That's what I love. That's what our missions contribution is all about is, is it's contributing to this offensive force in the world. Not offensive, right? It's this offensive force in the world. So church, it's time for us to get off defense. We, we intercepted the ball a long time ago at the, at the cross. And we're moving toward the end zone. And when you play scared and you play defensive when you're on offense, it never goes well. It's time for us to move again and to not be afraid and to trust the spirit of God that we talked about a couple of weeks ago is with us. This is the way it is. This is the real world. And, and when you walk out those doors, there'll, there'll be people and there'll be news stations that'll tell you the other thing. They'll tell you, no, no, no. No, everything's falling back in our culture. No, no, no. God's moving. And he continues to move. We want to be a part of that. Amen. Let's pray as we close this morning. Our God, our Father, we, we are so grateful for your spirit that is active and alive in this world. And God, I'm sorry for the ways that we have played defense, for the ways that we've played fearful, for the play, ways that we have we've tried to prevent the enemy from encroaching our doors, and for the ways we've huddled in buildings and we've forgotten that the call that you've given us has always been not to protect and preserve and to hoard blessing, but it's to pour out blessing everywhere we can. And so God, we pray for those gates all around our city. And we know they cannot stand against your kingdom. And so we pray boldly that you would break through those locks, that you would take those people who are bound in slavery right now, and that we would get a chance to walk beside them and free them from the power of the evil one. So God, we give up fear and we give up protection and we walk again into this offensive stance, realizing that your kingdom is advancing. It's unshakable. God, we want to walk with boldness knowing that is the case. We pray for our missionaries on the field. We thank you for the Becks and the Vances and, and others uh, throughout the world, God, that this morning are, are, are worshiping in the midst of real danger. We pray you'd protect them from the evil one, and we pray that your kingdom would advance in those places, God. But God, let us never forget that you are on mission here. You're on mission amongst neighbors. You're on mission with our children. You're on mission in high school and college campuses. You're on mission in workplaces. God, help us to see that more clearly and to engage and to see ourselves as missionaries. God, help us to see and help us to move and to act. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.